Welcome to the London First Baptist Church podcast. This is the Sunday morning service of May 12th from Pastor Brett Cottrell. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles. Turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. There are moments in this life when um, we recognize or we feel that we are powerless that we are unable to change any of the circumstances around us, no matter what they are. And there is a a hopelessness, perhaps, that comes with feeling powerless. None of us wants to feel like we don't have the ability to do something. None of us wants to feel like something is out of our control. We all hate the feeling of being being able to do nothing but sit there and watch something happen, perhaps. It's been over 21 years... Uh, early April of 1998, and uh, Angela was about ready to uh, give birth to to Ben, our first one, and so we went to the hospital. They uh, induced her, Angela, and she spent the next 21 hours. Yeah, a lot worse for her than it was for me. Waiting for him to come, and he just decided he didn't want to. So after 21 hours, and after just a lot of stuff we won't get into this morning, they decided to, get a, they decided to do an emergency C-section. And I remember being in the delivery room, and there were just some complications, and there were just things going on that made it scary. And I can't imagine what Angela must have been feeling, but I know as, as dad, as I was watching my wife, and I was anticipating the arrival of my son, I remember looking at what was going on and the franticness of what was going on, and I was scared. I remember saying to the Lord, everything that's valuable to me is resting on that table. And you realize there's not a thing you can do. Everything was out of my hands. There was nothing I could do to make her better. There was nothing I could do to make him come. There was nothing I could do to solve anything I was, for all practical purposes, useless. Probably not the last time I was useless. And all I could say was, Lord, I got nothing. I can do nothing. Everything is in your hands. You know, again, we don't like that feeling, do we? We like to keep this idea that somehow we have influence and power and strength and we can accomplish things we are a society that worships those who can accomplish great things who have this appearance of power and influence but the truth is before god before the things that really matter you and i are in fact powerless and we're going to see a story this morning of powerless demonstrated Powerlessness demonstrated. Mark chapter 9. I want to read beginning in verse 14. When they came back to the disciples, this is Jesus, Peter, James, and John. Last week, we, or a couple weeks ago, we saw uh, the events that we call the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus was glorified and Peter, James, and John got a glimpse of Jesus, what he looks like in heaven. So they're coming off the mountain, okay? So they come back down the mountain. Verse 15, Mark chapter 9. Immediately, When the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. He asked them, what are you discussing with them? 
And one of the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground, and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens. I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. He answered and said, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. They brought the boy to him. When he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion and falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It's often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and dumb, or you deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. After crying and throwing, crying out and throwing him into a terrible convulsions, it came out, and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him, and he got up. When he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that as we look at this passage, as we remember the things that Jesus has done, that you would teach us this morning about what it means to be completely dependent upon you. In his name we pray. Amen. There are these moments in life that we all have that clarify our powerlessness. For most of our lives, we probably uh, go through our daily routines under the illusion that we have some manner of control and power over our lives. (laughs) But the truth is, we're powerless over the things that really matter. Paul himself in 2 Corinthians talks about his own weakness. Paul had been afflicted by the Lord of what he called the thorn in the flesh, and we don't know what that was. But we do know that Paul said that he was weak, that he was powerless to do anything about it, that he had prayed, and God said, through your weakness, Paul, I will be made great. Through your weakness, become strong. We know that sometimes through our weakness, or often through our weakness, God makes himself known. But we, we fear weakness. We want to avoid it. We, 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 we shrink away from this idea that we can be powerless. As we come to the story this morning, we're going to see a number of powerless, weak people. And they all interact and respond to the situation differently. As I mentioned before, Jesus, Peter, James, and John have been on this mountain. We've probably Mount Moriah, uh, or Mount, uh, uh, a mountain at the, at the, at the top of Jerusalem, uh, top of Israel, perhaps the source of the Jordan River, uh, a high peak. And there they had seen Jesus transformed before their eyes. The, the word in, in Greek was metamorphosis. They had seen Christ change before them. They saw his face shine like the sun, his clothes become brilliant white. Peter, James, and John got a glimpse of Jesus the way he is in heaven. It overwhelmed them. 
Now, immediately they come down off that mountain. They get back down into the valley, and, and they, they run into a, a mess. I don't know about you. Have, have you often found that it is after a mountaintop experience, so to speak? It is that God allows us to have those times, and we just have a, a mountaintop experience with Him. God just shows us something. We, we see some incredible thing happen, perhaps. We have a Sunday morning that just seems to stand out. Maybe we have a chance to go on a retreat or you know, if you're a youth, you get to go to camp or a mission trip. or You just have one of those experiences with God that just is incredible and beyond words. Maybe it's a, a, a morning devotion. You just have a scripture that morning. It just speaks to you and God just does a work in your life and you are on cloud nine. You have a, this great spiritual experience. Can't get any better than this. And not, and not 15 minutes later, what happens? Wham! Something happens and breaks you out of your little bubble, and, and all of a sudden you're back in the real life, as we might talk about it. We, I was talking about kids, talk to youth about this through the years all the time, that, well, they go to camp and they have this great experience, and you come back from camp on a Friday afternoon, and by the next Monday, it's like, bam, the bubble has burst. Sometimes we have these great experiences. Peter, James, and John have had this incredible experience. Jesus himself has even himself had a, a brief uh, respite from his incarnation. He's, got it, he's, he's revealed himself in all his glory to heaven. And they come off the mountain, and the first thing they see is a mess. Off the mountain, into the mess. Jesus walks up, and he sees his disciples and some local scribes arguing. Moms, I'm not going to ask you how many times you've had a good morning and then you come out of the bedroom and what do you see? Arguments, right? Kids arguing. That, that's, that's what's going on here. Jesus comes off the mountain and he sees his disciples and he sees the scribes having an argument. So obviously Jesus showing up draws some attention. The argument stops. Jesus shows up and he says, what's going on? What, what's, the argument, what's the argument about? He's actually probably speaking to the scribes. and says, what are you discussing with my disciples? What is the big deal? Now, we know what the big deal was, is that we had this father who shows up with his son. We don't know how old the son is. I'm guessing he's at least a teenager, because later on he will say that he's had this affliction since childhood. So he's probably had this for some time. And so this man had brought his son to the disciples and asked them to cast out this demon. Now, I don't know what role the scribes were, why they were even there. It's possible that this man had even at some point approached the scribes and the religious leaders asking them if they could do something about his son, and clearly they were powerless to do anything about it. So he goes to Jesus' disciples, and he says, you cast them out, this, you cast out this demon, and they couldn't do it either. So we got two groups here, the scribes and the disciples, both of them faced with this young man, who is possessed by a demon, both of them powerless to do anything about it. And so they do what you normally do when you're powerless and you get frustrated and you, you can't do what you want to do and you look kind of silly, you start a fight. So that's what they did. The scribes can't do anything about this. Now, um, you, you can see Jesus' little frustration with them about this. Verse 19, he's in the middle of all this. He goes, Man, how long am I going to be stuck with you guys? You ever asked that question? You ever had, to, you ever had 
that group of people that they're just on each other and you just you just get those one of those mornings and you you're you're in front of all these folks and you just think to yourself, How long do I gotta put up with these people? You ever ask that question? You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to, but because I know all of you could raise your hand there. Jesus says, How long am I gonna put up with this unbelieving generation? You even see it a little bit later on, this dad says, if you could do anything, and Jesus says, if you can, I'm, I'm just imagining Jesus' eyebrow raised. If you can. Jesus walks into this mess and everyone is powerless. You know, when we go from the mountain into the mess, when we go from a, 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 an experience that's just incredible and we find ourselves the next moment in something that just seems frustrating. How, how do we handle that? How, how do we get through that? How, how do we go from, man, Lord, this is incredible. I want to do nothing but just stay here on top of the mountain to walking down into the valley and going, really, this again? How do we do that? I, I do think that one of the reasons Jesus had revealed himself with his glory to the, at least to Peter, James, and John was that he knew the events that were about to happen. Not just this one, but he knew the events that were coming as far as the crucifixion and all those things. And he wanted to prepare his disciples to handle it. And one of the ways he wanted to do that was he wanted to give them a glimpse as to who he really is, what he really is. You know, there are a number of things that take place, a number of things that we can do. You want to not get bogged down in the mess of the valley, one of the things that we do, we can do, is to keep our minds on the risen, glorified Christ. Now, here, here's what I mean by that. I'm, I'm going to give you a personal example. There's a, there's, there's a song, it's, we, we don't really sing it here, it's, it's, it's a, not probably not the easiest congregational song. We, our previous church, we did a passion play for several years, and the finale of the passion play, we sang a song called Jesus is the Lord. It's a very upbeat, boy, it's a big, majestic song. And we, we, would, we would wrap up that passion play and we would bring out the guy who was playing Jesus. We'd put him on a throne and all the cast would kind of come out and bow down and kneel. And there's this picture of the heavenly Christ and we would sing the song, Jesus is the Lord. To this day, I can, I can be having a bad day and I can put that song in. And now I'm not really focused upon the mess. I'm focused upon my Lord, my Master. You want to figure out how to handle the mess, the first thing we got to do is recognize our powerlessness and make sure that we are focused upon our Master. Because our Master, whether we're on the mountaintop or whether we're in the mess, is the one who will take us through it, is the one with the power to sustain us, is the one with the power to, uh, to deal with the, whatever the issues are. And so we need to make sure that we are maintaining our, our vision on the Master more so than the mess. So let me encourage you. You, you find yourself in a, in a tough day. You find yourself frustrated. You find yourself overwhelmed. You find yourself a little powerless. Know what you do? Start worshiping. And by the way, that's not just music. You don't have to have music to do that. But start worshiping. Take your attention off that and put your attention on Him. The mess is overwhelming you? Stop looking at the mess. I don't... That doesn't mean we're not going to deal with the mess. 
But stop focusing upon it and start worshiping. Pull out some scripture. Begin reading the scripture. Begin praying. Begin worshiping. And you'll find that the master becomes who you're focused upon at that point. And tell you what, you're focused upon our Lord Jesus Christ. You're focused upon the, the God of the transfiguration. You're focused upon the one who created you, who brought you into existence, who gives you your next breath. The best gets okay. You can handle that because there is the master. So we come down off the mountain, we get in the mess. Look at the master. I, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, I highly recommend you read it. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 40. That's one of those passages I go back to over and over and over again. Isaiah 40 is verse after verse after verse of the power and the majesty and the dominion of our God. Look at our master. And, and don't just, by the way, don't, don't just stop at the occasional song or the occasional scripture. I want to encourage you to when you worship and to when you pray, to actually not just change your mindset, I want to encourage you from time to time to even change your posture. Now by that I mean this, over throughout the scriptures you'll see when people, when people worship, they do a couple of things. One is they kneel. They kneel before their God. They come down and they I'm going to do my best here. They get on a knee or they get on two knees and they bow. You know, we don't do that anymore, do we? We don't bow before our Lord. We think we're too good for that. Maybe, maybe it's in your bedroom, your living room. I recommend you don't do this when you're in the car. Bow. And maybe, and I won't demonstrate this one, Maybe you lie prostrate, and by that I mean you lay flat on the ground, stomach down, face down, hands down, and you beg and you pray and you worship. Now, you know what that does? That takes your attention off yourself. It takes your attention off of everything else and pulls your attention to the God who created you. You want to handle the mess, focus on the Master. Jesus walks into this mess. Of course, he is the master. We've got these two groups, scribes and disciples, and they're arguing with one another because both of them have failed. Now, what the scribes have done here is they haven't been able to do it. Then we think, what can the scribes do? Well, the scribes, the religious leaders of Israel, they had mechanisms, they had traditions, they had history in place that they believed enabled them to deal with evil spirits, to to. Practice exorcism, if you will. They, they, their, their history had said they could do this. But these guys couldn't. The disciples themselves, they had had history. If we went back to Mark chapter 6, we would see in a couple different places that as Christ sent them out, He had empowered the disciples to cast out demons. And in fact, they had done exactly that. And so both these groups, but especially the disciples of Christ, have recent history that says they can do this. Those disciples in particular, the other nine, now we, we know Peter, James, and John, but Andrew and Bartholomew and Thomas, Judas, all those guys, James the Lesser. I've always thought that was a bad nickname, James the Lesser. I want to be James the Lesser. All those guys have had success and experience casting out demons. 
And so I'm sure this kid is brought up before them and they go, we've done it before, we can do it again. If they probably, I've been there, done that, yeah. yeah when I was on ministry, we did it this way, right? Yeah. They, they've had success, they have done this. And then they fail. And not only do they fail, they fail publicly. And they fail in front of those who want to see them fail. That's fun, isn't it? Failure with critics watching. And so these guys begin arguing that a fight has been started. You know, it's, it's hard, to, it's, it's hard to, uh, to do things well when you know you have people sitting there waiting for you to fail, right? I used to coach a little t-ball um, or little league when, when Ben and Matthew were, were younger. And I remember we had one young man on, on a team and he was probably the most talented young little boy on this team. Now these are these are seven to eight year olds, so you know, take it for what it is. But this, this young man was probably this little boy was probably the best athlete on the team. Boy, in practice, he would just rip that ball all over the field. He couldn't miss. First game, and I had not met his mother. His 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 cousin was on the team and his uncle would bring him to all the practices and all the pre-games that we had. Well, the very first game of the year, his mom shows up. And I had not met her. And she was loud. She might be even what some folks would call obnoxious. We, went, we, we had a chance to go to the Arkansas baseball game on Thursday night. There is, you know, there's, a, there's an Arkansas baseball fan, and his, his nickname is Hognoxious. And I can't think of a better nickname for this guy. I'm on the Razorbacks team, and even I find him kind of obnoxious. And this mom began yelling. And he'd take a pitch, and he'd swing at it, and she was just behind home plate, and she was ripping into her son. And you could just see him shrink. There's probably a couple of exceptions, but by and large, throughout the course of that year, when mom wasn't there, he was knocking that ball all over the place. When as soon as she showed up, he couldn't do a thing right. Because it's hard. It's hard to do well when you have people waiting for you to fail and ready to chew you out. Unfortunately for him, it was his mom. That was a tragedy. These disciples have failed with guys who want to argue and criticize and be upset with them. And so this fight has, has followed you know, sometimes when we find ourselves powerless, our response is just to get angry. It's to fight. It's to look for someone else to blame. You know, it's easy to, it's easy to criticize and be angry when you're not doing anything, isn't it? It's easy, to, it's easy to criticize someone else who's trying while you're sitting back here sitting in a chair. It's easy to, to tell someone how wrong they are. It's easy to, to sit back and tell this world, you guys are wicked, you guys are evil, you guys are failures. It's easy for us, even as Christians, to sit in our nice, comfortable chairs on Sunday morning and criticize and ridicule and mock the world. We can do that. But to me, if we're doing that, it's a sign that we have realized that we are not living with the power God has given us. It's a sign of weakness. It's a bad reaction to weakness is what it is. The disciples, for their part, have decided not to take the criticism. They're going to fight back. And so there's this argument. When we think we have control, when we think we have power, we are probably going to be in trouble. 
So Jesus walks into the situation where these scribes and, and these disciples are all failing. They're all angry. They're fighting. They're exchanging accusations. And then we see another guy. And he's powerless too. Jesus asked these two groups who were fighting, what are you guys fighting about? And before they can answer, or probably while they're looking embarrassed, Dad just says, I'll tell you what they're fighting about. My son. And I've watched him for years. His mom and I are worn out. For ever since he was a child, we haven't been able to take our eyes off of him because this demon will come upon him and he'll go into a spasm and the demon will try to throw him into the fire and kill him. The demon will try to throw him into the water and kill him. Can you imagine being in a situation where you can't take your eyes off of your child for a moment for fear he might die? Can you imagine the exhaustion? I mean, being a parent's exhausting enough, amen? But can you imagine this? He goes, I'll tell you what they're fighting about. They're fighting over my son and the fact that he's in this situation and we've been dealing with this for years and I have pleaded for help and they can't do a thing. And so they're fighting with each other. These scribes were powerless. The disciples were powerless. This dad is, he's powerless. All he can do is sit there and watch this happen to his son. Jesus says, well, this, this father finally gets to the point because he's seen failure all around him. So he said, if you can do anything, would you please do it? And Jesus goes, if? All things are possible to him who believes, Jesus says. And the dad, and this is, I think this has to be, <laughs> it, it, I'm, I'm going to call it a prayer. The dad says, I do believe, help my unbelief. That's kind, of a, that's kind of in between there. Like, I, I think I believe, I want to believe, I, I have some faith, but I've, I've watched failure too. So he prays for faith. I believe, help my unbelief. Give me more faith, whatever it takes. That's a desperate dad right there. That's a desperate plea. I believe, but not enough. Help my unbelief. This dad's admitting he's not perfect. He doesn't have all the answers. He's not sure what the next steps are. He just knows he's helpless. It's an honest prayer. It's a desperate prayer. It's a prayer of a parent who is at a loss. Jesus, of course, heals the young man. All things are possible to him who believes Jesus responds on this prayer. You know, this prayer is probably one we ought to be praying more often. I think most of us are probably here this morning would say we have some trust, we have some level of faith in God, faith in Christ. We would recognize that. But I'll bet you more often than not, we are faced with things that overwhelm us. And there are times we're going, I know I should trust. I know I should believe. I know God can handle this. And yet we still find ourselves doing what? doubting i've got story after story after story not just of other people of what god has done in my life and my angela's life how he has met needs time after time after time after time and i can recite those and tell you i know that god will supply those needs and yet there are still times when the next need pops up i'm still going 
Mm. I still have that moment of panic. I still have that moment of, what am I going to do? I still have that moment of overwhelmed. And you would think after 25 years of stories of God's faithfulness, I would be past that. And yet still, I have to pray, I believe, yet help my unbelief. But this dad has recognized his powerlessness. And so he does really what all he can do. I'm powerless, he says. Christ, help. Christ, would you please help? Of course, Jesus does. So I want us this morning to see that prayer. But I want us to see one more thing this morning before we're done. After this whole event takes place, Jesus takes his disciples off to the side. And his disciples are confused. Again, most of them have probably cast out demons. Why couldn't we do this? Now, Jesus gives them an answer. He says, this kind only comes out by prayer. I, I don't know what was unique about this particular demon, or if there was anything unique at all. I don't know what made this situation different for the disciples, for sure, other than other things. I do know they had had success casting out demons in the past. And my guess is this, what Jesus is really telling them is this. You weren't ready. I think the disciples had really found themselves not trusting in the power that Christ had given them. They were trusting in their own strength. They had the illusion of power. Well, we did that before. We were on a mission trip just a, a year ago, and we cast out demons. We've seen it done. We know the formula. We know how to pray. We've been there, done that. We've been successful. We have exercised the demons. We have demonstrated our power. This is no different. We can do it. We've done it before. And the moment they say that, who are they really trusting? They're trusting themselves. I think what Jesus is telling them in verse 29 when he says, this kind cannot come out by anything by prayer. What he's really telling them is this. You thought you had power. But your power was not yours. It was mine. How many times, I'll confess this, I've been in the ministry for a long time. I've been in church even longer. Most, many of you have perhaps been the same way. We can, we can look at the past and we can see the stories. We remember all the things that God has done. You can... Some of you can go back decades and go, I remember when God did this, and I remember when God did this, and I remember we did this, and we saw that happen. And this is how we did it. We went through this step, boom, boom, boom. And you can tell the story about how God did something in 1965 or 1985 or 2005, and you can tell the story. And so when you're, the next thing pops up, you're going, well, in 1975 we did it this way. We handled that, no big deal. Let's do it just like that again. And know what's going to happen? Bam! Failure. Because the power wasn't in the steps. The power wasn't in your organization. The power wasn't in your money. The power wasn't in any of those things. The power was in the Lord. And the moment I began trusting my process, the moment I began trusting my experience, the moment I began trusting my expertise, is the moment I do like the disciples did and fall flat on my face for everyone to see. The disciples paid. The disciples failed because they thought they had power. The disciples were powerless. 
The scribes were powerless. The dad is powerless. The only one in this story with any power whatsoever is the master himself. And if they were going to do anything, even while Jesus was on that mountaintop, they had to be prepared. They had to be ready. They had to be dependent, if you will, upon the power of Christ. We rely on so many things. We rely on our great resources. We rely on our great ingenuity. We rely on our great history. We rely on our, we rely on our traditions. We rely on our experiences. And the truth is, none of that makes any difference to God. The only thing we can rely on this morning is His power because we have none. The past may prepare us for what's going to go on in the future, but it doesn't guarantee anything. You and I, we're powerless. I've got no power. You have no power. Anything I might have is the power of God working in me. And the moment I look to myself, I'm in trouble. The power of Christ cast out this demon. It may be this morning that you're like one of the scribes. You have a history. You're like one of the disciples. Yeah, we've, we've done great things in the past, but you find yourself overwhelmed today with something you can't deal with. Maybe you're the dad. Maybe you're the, the parents of the story and you're simply worn out dealing with the crisis that's in front of you. Maybe you're the crowd just watching. I don't know. Maybe you're under the illusion that you actually have some type of power. But the only power we have this morning begins with first of being, I have no power. It begins with a desperate prayer before our Master. It's the people that will go before Him and say, Lord, today I depend upon You. Not a single one of us knows what Monday holds. Not a single one of us knows what Tuesday holds. Not a single one of us in this room knows what Wednesday or Thursday or Friday holds. He does. Now, if I want the power and the ability to confront that and overcome it, I can't rely upon myself. I must rely upon the Master. I pray today. I pray tonight. I pray tomorrow morning because I don't know what's going to happen Monday afternoon. I pray Monday afternoon and Monday night because I don't know what's going to happen on Tuesday morning. I pray Tuesday morning and Tuesday afternoon because I don't know what's going to happen on Tuesday night. I come to the Master.